0: We uh, we were very cautious about heat, but you can be as cautious as you want. Of course, I saw people pass out when I was in high school.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the stage—the official performing arts podcast of the NFHS. I'm your host, Ken Burke, and today we have one awesome guest on as we get the privilege to learn from Dr. Neha Rocker on a number of things, but specifically on heat illness prevention. It's a growing topic today, and it's, it's, really, it's really alarming how, how bad it's getting. But Dr. Rocker, thank you so much for coming on today. I know it's going to be a really great conversation.
0: Thank you so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to it as well.
1: Yeah, I know I could, I could sit here and try to list out everything that you're involved in because I, I did do research on you, and it is extensive, let me tell you. <laughs> but um, I really don't think I could do it justice. So before we get started, could you please just list out literally everything that you're involved in, everything that you've accomplished, uh, just, you know, whatever comes to mind. Uh,
0: well, I'll just summarize it by saying I'm an emergency medicine physician, and I'm also trained in sports medicine, so I do both, I wear both hats. I'm a researcher, an educator, and I work clinically. And I'm very involved with um, creating policy. I like to affect change on a broader scale. And I used to, I'm an East Coast girl, but I currently live in the Midwest. And I've been involved with athletes of all ages, youth athletes all the way through Olympic athletes and Masters athletes. So. I have a pretty broad breadth of the types of injuries I see and the age groups that I see them in.
1: Mm, yeah, you know, Kind of continuing that question, uh, this is kind of a question we ask everybody that comes on the podcast now. As a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you want to be a sports medicine doctor, or did you want to be an astronaut? What, how, are you, how did you get to where you are now?
0: So, um, When I was in kindergarten, my, brother, my younger brother and I had built a treehouse. So you can imagine it was fairly rickety,
1: right. and I,
0: oh. fell, <laughs> I fell out of it, and I broke my arm. I had a really bad fracture of my arm, and so I ended up staying in the hospital for a few days. It was a really long time ago, but you know how you remember things as like flashes of memories? And so I have these memories of my very kind orthopedic surgeon, um, the, the nicest nurses who were on the floors and in the operating room. I went down to the physical therapy suite a bunch of times, and they were—they had the best toys and the best tools. The surgeon took me on a tour of the hospital every morning. I got to do rounds with him because I was so young. Um, and he would tell me the importance of science and how it can lead to innovation, and that helps to helps people to live better, longer, and healthier. And so that sort of was like, I was in kindergarten. It was so formative for me to hear that every day for a week. And then my dad is an engineer in New York City. And growing up, I would go into the city with him, and I would see what the surgeon was telling me, that science helps people live better. And so I would watch these tall skyscrapers being erected, and I would see bridges being built, and I would see basically cranes along the silhouette of the city. And it was the same idea of science helps people live better and longer. And so I wanted to be a part of that. And um, I think these formative childhood moments sort of ignited my passion for medicine but yeah it was basically the, the path to science
1: yeah did you ever get in contact with that doctor again after that
0: you No. Know what no he I wow. the hospital shut down I, I looked for him when I started applying to medical school just to tell him and um, the hospital shut down I think he's probably dead because that was so many wow. years ago so he never knew the impact nope
1: Wow! Wow! That's that's so crazy how some people can just plant a seed and they don't even know about it. Like yeah. you, I'm sure yourself, you've you've talked or spoken to hundreds of people that have inspired them to you know pursue sports medicine or something in that career. But moving on, like I said before, today's topic is really going to be focused on heat illness and practical ways to prevent and eliminate these risks for heat related illnesses. Uh, with fall sports already starting, it's going to be crucial that educators and coaches know the risk of playing and performing in such really drastic conditions. Um, So with that being said, how important is it to stay educated on the issues of heat illnesses?
0: Well, I think like all things in science, as we learn more, we can do more. And I think the management of heat illness is not any different, right? We're learning more as the decades go by. And and with that, I think we can do more than we could have when I was a kid.
1: Were you Were you in band or any activity in high school that, you know, dealt with this issue? Did you see anybody pass out from heat illness?
0: Oh, yeah. So I did not play a fall sport at my school, at my high school. I was actually in the marching band with my flute for the first couple <laughs> of years. And then I switched over to the French horn for the last couple of years. And um, I was in a public high school in New Jersey. And go Spartans. And, um, (laughs) we, we, uh, we were very cautious about heat, but you can be as cautious as you want. Um, of course I saw people pass out when I was in high school.
1: Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's scary. It's really scary. Especially as a parent, you, you know, you're sending your kid out to just play an instrument in, in band on the field and they could pass out at any moment. That's just, it's, it can be terrifying. But while being involved in sports medicine, how many athletes and performers? roughly have you have you seen suffering from any kind of heat illness
0: heat illness i would say hundreds because don't Mm. forget heat illness is like the spectrum of disorders right so it starts with heat cramps how many people have had cramps from working outside so many of us and then it goes on to heat exhaustion where you're starting to feel nauseous and you just don't feel right and then finally if all this goes untreated you can get to heat stroke and so I've seen hundreds along that entire spectrum.
1: Yeah, when I when I read that question, I was like, I know this is going to be an astronomical number because <laughs> I'm sure she deals with it every single day, uh, which is, it is terrifying to think about because you, we just don't, we don't think about that as musicians or athletes. We just, you know, we want to go outside and have fun, but it's a really important issue to educate everybody on. So for band directors, coaches, athletic directors, And even administrators, what would you advise them to do to prevent heat illnesses? When, you know, bands must, bands and teams must practice, how can they stay safe even in the hot summer months?
0: Well, so I think knowledge is power, right? And so the first thing is to know your environmental conditions, right? So when I was in high school, it was more subjective. You know, oh, it's hot out. I think we should practice indoors or I think we should play indoors. But now we've got all these tools and we have all these apps that can help us um, really identify the conditions that we're going to be practicing under. And then modify, and we have all these all this research on how to modify activity appropriately. So you could say, you know, it's really warm out, here's our heat index, or here's our wet bulb globe temperature. And as a result of this, I think we need to change our activity to this, this, and that, so we can adjust what we do based on what we see.
1: What, what are some of those uh, tools and apps that you mentioned? Because I know the Wet Bulb Globe, I, I, I that's a really great tool for high schools. What What other things were you thinking of?
0: So, you know, once upon a time, we used a good old thermometer. But then as mm-hmm. time went on, we went and used Heat Index, which was the, the best thing available at the time. But now, the Wet Bulb Globe is the it's at the moment it's the best thing that we have because it takes into account all different forms of heat stress that are placed upon the body. So, the best one right now is the wet bulb globe.
1: Yeah, I'm. Sure, I know at the NFHS it's a big deal, and it was a big deal when we got to administer that to nearly five thousand schools, which is really big. So. As summer's winding down, I'm sure you know, most kids don't do anything during the summer. They're just laying on their couch, playing video games, doing something like that. How can, how can coaches and directors ease their students back into the, their routines, their practices, and even games when you know, knowing, knowing that they kind of were lazy the entire summer and didn't really, uh, they weren't involved in the heat as much?
0: When we think about ways to stay cool and ways to reinsert or reintegrate activity, outdoor activity, um, I think of it in three categories. So I think of um, the first one is to stay cool, right? So you wear cool light clothing, which in the performing arts, like marching band, those outfits are not cool or light, right? They're very heavy, they involve a hat, and so they're not cool light clothing, but Try to incorporate cool light clothing as often as can as you can. Um, schedule outdoor activities carefully, right? So try to practice, especially on hot days, in the morning or after the sun is, or when the sun is going down. Um, pace yourself, meaning reduce the amount of activity during the heat. And like you said, people are not accustomed to working or exercising in a hot environment. So just just go about it slowly, kind of like we do with football players, where we acclimate them. The same thing, just to build it up slowly, um, pick up the pace gradually, um, and then avoid hot and heavy meals before you go outside, before the performers or athletes go outside, avoid these warm meals. So that's my first category is staying cool. The second one is staying hydrated, which means having readily accessible fluids. If you're gonna be outside for more than an hour, having sports drinks or drinks with electrolytes available, um and b- making sure that the drinks that the beverage is cool, not super cold because that doesn't work, right? It's gotta be just ice cold. Um and then the third is staying informed. So using these apps or the wet bulb globe to figure out what the temperature is outside and then modifying activity appropriately.
1: So I heard uh or I have heard that when somebody does suffer from heat illness, uh, the best thing to do for them is to dunk, immerse them in a really cold water. Is that true or is that just a myth?
0: Oh, um. so if we look at people who have heat stroke, which is the emergency, mm-hmm. right? So when I wear my emergency medicine hat, that's the one that we're re- really worried about. Those are the people that have some altered level of consciousness. If you have somebody who has an altered level of consciousness, like they're confused or unconscious, you want to bring their temperature down as quickly as possible. The quickest way to do that is truly putting them in like a kiddie pool or a tub of ice-cold water. And before that, though, you can do the fans and the misting and drinking cool water and going into the shade and taking off extra layers of clothing. All of that really helps lose the heat, you know, helps your body lose the heat. But once you've hit the um, zone of being unconscious or confused, it's really... Time sensitive, and so the quickest way to do mm. it is to put them in a tub of water.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's really good to know for any anybody that's participating in in the summer or any any heat activity. But I want to go back to the the wet bulb globe uh, thermometers. So I know as the NFHS, like I said, we administer five thousand to different schools. So for anybody listening that is at another school, a high school that didn't get one, how How can they get one, and why should they get one, and how effective are they?
0: Um, So they are sold commercially, like on Amazon. They can reach out to the NFHS who um, can put them in contact with the company that bought them, Mm -hmm. or they can just reach out to their state association and talk to them about getting a a wet bulb globe and making the connection for them. Um, Why use that? The wet bulb globe gives you not only ambient temperature um, and not only the level of humidity, but it gives you a clue as to the level of radiation, the wind, the cloud cover. It takes all of these different things into account and really tells you how much heat the person is being exposed to. Mm. And so it's really a sensitive marker. They did a study some years ago looking at all the athletes that died during a 10 year period. And the heat index did, was not sensitive enough to identify these dangerous conditions. But the wet bulb mm. globe is sensitive enough, sensitive enough to identify these dangerous conditions. So, it really is a good way to it's a good way to identify this is a bad situation. I need to modify activity. It's really the only real way that we have at the moment.
1: Mm. Yeah, so for all the listeners out there, go get one right now because it could save somebody's life, essentially. I mean, it really could. It could save one of your students' lives. Um, but speaking of which, summers aren't going to cool down. For the last decade, they've been getting hotter and hotter. Uh, but knowing this, what do people need to know moving forward if, you know, if summers aren't going to cool down?
0: Yeah, so, you know, you're right. The earth is getting warmer. Climate change is... The climate is changing. We are getting warmer. And so what we're seeing is even in states where people were not really aware or didn't have to be aware of heat issues, now they're having to learn about it because their environment is warmer and their kids are going to start, their students are going to start suffering from heat illness. So I think it's something that everybody needs to know. and everything everybody needs to be aware of not just the typically classically southern states.
1: I mean that was my next question. What what about states that haven't had that intense heat? What are they, what are they going to do, you know, because they haven't been able to really feel that until recently.
0: So the good thing is they can learn from the states that have already done it, right? So yep. There's a lot of states that have already been through this, and there's a lot of growing pains when you try to implement anything new, right? There's always this inertia of stasis. And so if you could um, if people could start talking to each other, if the states could um, get together and learn from each other, there's a lot of good information out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know, Now, I know this isn't a podcast about global warming, so I'm not even going to try to sit here and act like I'm an expert on the weather. Uh, but we can't argue with the facts. Like, it keeps getting hotter. You can just step outside and realize that. So if we were able to study heat in more in depth, uh, how would we go about doing that? What, what What are the steps in your mind that you that you would take?
0: So, if we were going to study heat, I would say in the performing arts participants,
1: mm-hmm. there is
0: there is not a lot of information out there right now. What we know a lot about is in athletes and in you know geriatric patients. We know quite a bit about heat illness, but we don't know a lot about um, the conditions that. There's so much we don't know when it comes to the performing arts, the participants of the performing arts. We don't know the conditions that they're under. We don't know what their stresses are. We don't know what the tolerances are. There's a lot we don't know. All we can do is extrapolate the information that we learn from athletes. So we are basically starting at ground zero when it comes to participants in performing arts. So what do we need to know? We need to know um, what's the best outfits, you know, or what's the best way, what stresses their bodies the most. Is it their outfits? Is it what routines, what conditions, what environmental or practical conditions like um, the ground that they're marching on? What's the best ways to cool these these participants? Um, There's a lot of things we don't know. And so the area is ripe for a lot of research.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I know a lot of athletes wear clothing like, you know, mesh really cooling uh material but i really don't know what band participants wear because i mean like you said they have those heavy heavy clothes on and you don't know what they have on underneath that they could have even more if you if somebody made uh a clothing specifically designed for band they could they could they could profit off that (laughs) but it's It is definitely something to look into. And I know that uh, at the NFHS, we're definitely vouching for somebody to to do that study. So as we start to wrap up our conversation today, we love asking everyone on the podcast this question too. What was your favorite activity to do in high school? And how formative was that for you now?
0: So I played basketball, uh, winter sport. I played basketball in high school. And I think of all the things that I participated in high school, and I was busy all the time. I think that really taught me, most number of lessons right I think um, and that really helped form helped me become what I am today so I learned about teamwork I learned hard lessons about failure and working hard and working with a team towards a common goal so you know as you grow up and as you go through your career as you become a leader you learn how to also inspire a team It's the same basic skills that you learned on the court I had a great coach And so from him, I learned how to be a great leader or a great mentor. Um, You learn life lessons about winning and bringing the team along. Um, But really, you also learn the hard lessons like failure and how to learn from it and how to improve and how to take critical feedback. These are all things that I learned when I played um, high school basketball and college basketball. And I think these were my most empowering lessons.
1: Hmm. And I'm sure you use those today and I'm sure you will use them for the rest of your life. Yeah. But Dr. Rocker, I really do appreciate your time today. Uh, What you're doing for the world of sports medicine and for performing arts people everywhere is, it's really inspiring. And I just can't thank you enough for for coming on to talk a little bit about that.
0: Well, thank you for having me. And I suppose my last thought would be, we know a lot about heat and heat illness um, from the athletic world. And for now, until we know better I think the right thing to do is to translate all those lessons we learned from that field onto the participants of performing arts
1: Mm, definitely dr rocker thank you again for everyone listening make sure you can go check out the nfhs learn course on heat illness prevention educating yourself on this topic could really it not only eliminate potential risks but it could save a life as always please remember to leave a rating and review on the podcast and to share it Even if you share this episode with one teacher, coach, administrator, or student, it will go a long way. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, and I hope to catch you next time on the stage.